Hello, everyone, and thanks for joining with us for this week's podcast. As per usual, before we begin our time together, I want to take a moment and let you know a bit of what's coming up in our community. This week, uh, Brett Ashton, so that's me, is continuing our Advent series, The Expected One. And at the end of this month, Kathy Haugrud is retiring, and she has served faithfully at Southview for 32 years. And we are so thankful for her and how God has used her in the ministry here at Southview. We have a December giving challenge happening this month. Each week, over 3,500 people come through this building. And last year, we received over $550,000 towards ministry here at Southview. And we would ask that you prayerfully consider giving this month. The best way to know what's going on at Southview is by checking out our weekly viewpoint. You can find a link to our viewpoint in the episode description of this podcast, or you can go on Realm and join the group Southview Family Updates, and that'll make sure you're always getting the weekly viewpoint in your inbox. And if you're new with us here in this digital space, we would love to hear from you. And you can find an online connection card at the bottom of that viewpoint, along with a prayer request form so that we can support and join you in prayer. Additionally, you can find us on Instagram and Facebook. But now today, no matter how you're joining with us, may each of our hearts be open and expectant because God is here and Jesus invites us to bring all that we are and all that we're currently carrying to him. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, let's seek the face of God together. This is the sermon text, Isaiah 53, from the New International Version. Who has believed our message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot, and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind a man of suffering and familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised, and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. Yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many. 
he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors, for he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Good evening. How many of you have uh, recognized some of the images from that call to listen and seen them on the wall? Handful? And by handful, I mean solid two. So one of the things you can do after this, and this is very exciting, we have a number of artists in our community that have come together. They meet and share their work with each other, inspire each other. And they uh, did kind of a group project around the Advent themes of hope and joy and peace and love, all in their own style. And so if when you, not right now, please, that would hurt. But after this is done, go out those doors. And if you go towards the bathrooms along the hall here, right on the other side of this wall, you'll find all of those uh, pieces. And it's really, really cool to see people creating from our community. And then our Call to Listen features all of that artwork. And so we're very excited about that and very thankful for those artists and uh, Lindsay Nichols helping us to uh, put all that together. I thank you, Jean, for reading the sermon text. I still definitely love it. I think I'll happily speak for everybody um, that has spoken this fall to hear the text read uh, from the congregation before you come up to preach on that text is, it's just really fantastic. And last week, Craig started our Advent series titled The Expected One. And as we've noted, Advent is a season of expectation, of waiting. We're joining with Israel historically in waiting for the Messiah. And a Messiah, who we know to be Jesus, is the promised deliverer of Israel. The Messiah is the one that will deliver Israel and make things right. And because we know that this Messiah is Jesus, this season for us then is also one of waiting and expectation for Christ's promised return. And in this Advent series, we're looking at prophecies from the Old Testament that point to this Messiah and what they tell us about what we can anticipate from his coming. And so through Advent, we prepare and we invite God right into the mess and the pain of our lives. And we pray, come, Lord Jesus, come. And in Craig's message last week, he looked at passages that prophesied of the Messiah being a shepherd king. And this isn't a docile shepherd, but rather from the kingly line of David, a shepherd king with strength. David, even as a young shepherd, took down Goliath. Even as a young shepherd, David chased down the predators of his sheep and killed them, the lion and the bear. His strength came from the living God. So this was more akin to the type of shepherd that Jesus was going to be in the prophecy in Micah. And so Craig gave us three things to consider. First, Jesus the shepherd king brings security to us by his presence. The shepherd king brings us security through his protection. And then thirdly, Jesus, the shepherd king, brings security to us through his provision. 
And with that in mind, Craig asked us to consider the following question. What are you seeking from Jesus, our shepherd king? And like the Magi, perhaps we have expectations, we normally do, on what exactly it should look like to find Jesus. But rather, Craig encouraged us to be open to surprise. That perhaps Jesus will meet us in a different way than we expect. And this is the posture that we invite each of us to lean into through the season of Advent. And as was read earlier by Jean, our text today is from Isaiah 53. This can be a very familiar passage for many, and not just those that are specifically in the church. Maybe there are some music lovers or music, dare I say, nerds out there that would be knowing that there are parts of Isaiah 53 in Handel's Messiah. Anybody? Okay. I'll say three people. So between those three people that listen to Handel's Messiah and the two that saw the art, we have some work to do in the arts, everybody. Okay? Go listen to a song or something. <laughs> Frankly, this is an incredibly significant prophecy relating to the coming Messiah what he would be like and what he would do. And interestingly enough, and like last week, we have a prophecy telling us in clear terms that the Messiah will not be what we expect him to be. For example, Israel, when thinking of the Messiah, they expected a triumphant king that brought raw power and charisma that would deliver them from the Roman Empire, reestablish their role as chosen people. Their expectation was that the Messiah would lead, essentially, to a war that they couldn't lose. And yet, Isaiah paints a different picture than that. Writer Fleming Rutledge states, to put it in the bluntest possible terms, no one expected a crucified Messiah. The last thing anyone would ever have imagined, even with Isaiah 53 right in front of them, was the crucified Son of God. So in Isaiah, there's four servant songs, and our text today is the final of the four. And it actually, it actually starts a few verses earlier at the end of verse 52. So I'm going to read, start that song, uh, chapter 52, verse 13. See, my servant shall prosper, he shall be exalted and lifted up, and shall be very high. Just as there were many who were astonished at him, so marred was his appearance beyond human semblance, and his form beyond that of mortals. So he shall startle many nations, kings will shut their mouths because of him. For that which had not been told them they shall see, and that which they had not heard they shall contemplate. So there's some things of note in these verses. First, we typically resonate with the idea that the Messiah will be exalted and lifted up, that he will startle the nations and he will shut the mouths of kings. But couched between these two points is something tougher to read or hear when it comes to what Israel expected of the Messiah. He would astonish many because he was so marred in his appearance beyond human semblance. So already things have shifted in tone. This is an early clue that this Messiah will be different than what is expected. 
And after these verses, chapter 53, our text today, goes on to explain the status of the Messiah. We're given a picture that, again, does not seem very majestic or blatantly conquering. Verse 2 says he grew up like a young plant, like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty and nothing in his appearance that anyone should desire him. And perhaps that reminds us of Israel in the promised land, longing for a king so that they could be like other nations. So rather than follow God's plan, they choose the most king-like person that they can find in Saul. He's kingly in appearance, in influence, charisma. Meanwhile, as was noted last week, God eventually gives to Israel David, a mere shepherd. And there are actually interesting comparisons and contrasts between the end of verse 2 in our text today and 1 Samuel 16, where David is chosen to be king. 1 Samuel 16, 6 and 7 reads, When they came, he, Samuel, looked on Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed is now before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do, no, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord does not see as mortals see, they look on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. And as the story goes on, Samuel meets seven of Jesse's sons before finally meeting one more that Jesse brings in from the field where David is tending to the sheep. And as I just read, God tells Samuel that what we mortals see is not what he sees. And so even in our text today, it goes out of its way to point out that the Messiah is undesirable in appearance. It's not what is expected. And Isaiah goes on from there, describing the Messiah as despised, as rejected, a man of suffering, acquainted with infirmity, and as one from whom others hide their faces. We're already getting a picture that perhaps only with the benefit of hindsight... We can hardly believe that people miss Jesus for who he was or that it was surprising that he would come in this way. And if we take these verses that we've gone through so far, and in, including the end of Isaiah 52, and then we look at what is to follow, it's clear that through his obedience, the servant will suffer until he appears less than human. But then... His Lord will exalt him until he is undeniably more than human. And we can't rush to the good part. We want to hear and know Jesus truly suffered, and it was prophesied that he would. We can't effectively comprehend the extent of Jesus' suffering. Isaiah tells us that the Messiah would be struck down by God that he was wounded for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. And it goes in verse 6, Whereas like sheep we've gone astray, the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. But the next verse, verse 7, Isaiah shifts the picture of Jesus to that of a lamb that is led to the slaughter. And so this new David, the shepherd king, now gives his life for the sheep, us, who strangely are his murderers. He is both the priest shepherd and the victim sheep. 
Hebrews 7, 23 to 25 says, Furthermore, the former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able for all time to save those who approach God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. And 1 Peter 1.19 reads, But with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb, without defect or blemish. And so these are both passages that point to a system that Israel was familiar with. They knew this all from the wilderness, meaning the role of the high priest in their community, or the role and, sorry, and the role of sacrifices and offerings in that system to make things right, at least temporarily. And Jesus, the Messiah, fills the role of both in his life and death. Romans 5.19, Paul says, For just as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. And at the same time, we know about the resurrection. So we can also see Christ risen victorious, having won the battle, even though it was not the exact battle Israel thought it would be. And Jesus himself saw that his life and death was a fulfillment of Old Testament prophecies. Isaiah 53 in particular. At the Last Supper, he said, For I tell you, this scripture must be fulfilled in me. And he was counted among the lawless. And some translations would include, substitute that word for transgressors. And indeed, what is written about me is being fulfilled. Jesus was very aware of and obedient to his role of Messiah, even though the road was unbearable and led to the worst death imaginable. And he did so as an obedient, suffering servant. But it's not just something incredible that happened in the past that we can place only our future hope. Jesus' coming as Messiah brings us present hope as well. And I am sure that each of us have many things in our lives, throughout our lives, that would constitute suffering. And perhaps you've already been through it already and you're looking in the rearview mirror, or perhaps you're in it right now. In that, have you encountered the suffering servant? And we all have pictures in our minds about what Jesus might have looked like. Many of us can't get certain pictures out of our minds, like the couple that Craig shared last week. But when we look at the text today, let alone the stories of Jesus and his followers throughout the New Testament, do we see Jesus as someone who knows our suffering? Or am I wrong in saying that we, or myself, sometimes feel like Jesus is distant or unconnected to what we're going through? There's a great reminder of something Henry Nouwen, Henry Nouwen wrote in his book, The Wounded Healer. He says, this is exactly the announcement of the wounded healer. The master is coming, not tomorrow, but today. Not next year, but this year. Not after all our misery is past, but in the middle of it. Not in another place, but right here where we are standing. 
In the passage we read earlier in Hebrews 7, it says, Consequently, he is able for all time to save those who approach God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. The meaning of intercession in the Greek points towards being present with. So Jesus isn't praying to God from a distance, but sitting enthroned at God's right hand, petitioning God to aid in our endurance. Meaning that Jesus has an intercessory ministry based on the finality of his sufferings, but even when vindicated by God, he is still concerned to minister to his people. Through the ministry of suffering, we know he does, in fact, understand every grief we suffer because he, too, has felt our pain. And God's been doing this for quite some time. He longs to deliver us. In Exodus 3, God says of Israel, I know their sufferings and I have come down to deliver them. Throughout the book of Judges, we see a pattern of Israel falling away from God, but God sending a judge to get them back on track, sometimes not so kindly. But God interacts with us, and Jesus is interceding on our behalf, and he does so with the knowledge and the experience of suffering. And I thought, seeing as we just finished the book of Philippians, if you, uh, if you joined us through this fall, I wanted to touch on Philippians 2, 5 to 8 again. It reads, Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness, and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And the key line I want us to see in that text is at the very beginning. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. This is the roadmap for the Christian life. Fleming Rutledge says this, Jesus brought the reign of heaven to earth, but in a guise so humble and lowly that it knocked the ruling powers, both church and state, so to speak, entirely off balance, causing them to react against their own best interests. The strange, virtually invisible way in which God made his appearance in the world is the guide to the Christian life. And what we've seen, whether through Philippians or through our text today, is that God's way of doing things often doesn't make sense to us. In his letter to the church in Corinth, Paul says, God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, things that are not, to reduce to nothing things that are. And furthermore, one of the only unambiguous New Testament uses of Isaiah 53 is found in 1 Peter 2. And the context of that passage is suggesting a different way of living, even in the most challenging of circumstances. Remember, as we've talked this fall, the kingdom of God is, it's almost upside down. And the outworking of the gospel calls us to a different way of living. So hear these words from 1 Peter. For to this you have been called. 
because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you should follow in his steps. And verse 23, when he was abused, he did not return abuse. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that free from sins, we might live for righteousness. The Messiah came in what was a very unexpected way at the time, and yet the prophecy in Isaiah tells the reader ahead of time that he would be despised and rejected. Again, he would be marred beyond human semblance. This is the suffering servant that 1 Peter 3.18 tells us, suffered for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, in order to bring you to God. The Apostle Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 5.21, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. But we do know that the suffering servant accomplished what Paul and Peter are talking about. And in that we know that Jesus is well acquainted with our own sorrows and sufferings. And we also have the benefit of knowing that Jesus was raised to life, which is our future as well. But in the meantime, we are called to model our lives after this suffering servant. We are called to also have the same mind in us that was in Christ Jesus. The idea of obedience to God's will, whatever the cost in which the cross is taken up by the disciple of Jesus, that applies to individual Christians and the church as a whole. And Henry Nouwen has yet another great insight, same book, The Wounded Healer. In the middle of our convulsive world, men and women raise their voices time and again to announce with incredible boldness that we are waiting for a liberator. We are waiting, they announce, for a Messiah who will free us from hatred and oppression, from racism and war, a Messiah who will let peace and justice take their rightful place. If the ministry is meant to hold the promise of this Messiah, then whatever we can learn of his coming will give us a deeper understanding of what is called for in ministry today. And so what we're called to is preach Christ crucified and raised to life. And as we look at the prophecies of his coming through this series, it needs to be the lens that we look, at, look through to look at our own lives. Because as Nowen said, if this Messiah is embedded in our story as followers of Christ, then whatever we can learn of his coming will help us in telling that story or to go further in living that story. And we already know that Jesus did not look like what it was expected. We know that God's ways of doing things don't seem to make sense to us. And yet, we are to trust him and follow him on that path. And we know we can hold firmly to Jesus. Hebrews 14, 15, and 16 reiterates that we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who in every respect has been tested as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And so fittingly, 
That's how we come to the table. And this meal is a stark reminder of the suffering servant as we receive both the bread and the cup. So hear this. This bread is Christ's body broken for you. And likewise with the cup, this is Christ's blood poured out for you. And so I would ask that as we come and receive, we would do so keeping in mind, in proximity, this text from Isaiah 53. This idea and this picture of Jesus, the Messiah, as the suffering servant. And we would keep it in mind thinking both corporately as a church, but also as individuals. So as a church, how are we living out this reality of the suffering servant as a church family? Or as individuals, there are those of us that are looking for a next step in potentially following Jesus. Or there are those of us that are in the midst of suffering right now. There are those of us who are longing for a liberator, and many of us want to speed things up, take action ourselves. So before we eat this bread and drink this cup, I want us to take a minute, probably not quite a minute, a minute's a long time, but I just want to take some time, center ourselves, engage, see where we're at. Where are we, even right now, in proximity to the suffering servant. So let's just take some time. I invite you to take your cups. Let's be honest, they're called miracle meals. If you've read the top. <laughs> and we're going to receive these elements. And as a reminder for each of us, we believe that when we come to the table, we don't just remember. We also receive from Christ in this meal. And so as we receive, let's have open hearts and minds to what Christ would have for us. He knows deeply where we are at today. So let's pull back that first layer and grab the bread. And I will read from Luke 22. Starting in verse 14. When the hour came, he took his place at the table and the apostles with him. He said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, 
I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And jumping to 19, then he took a loaf of bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Receive from him. And then with the cup in verse 20. And he did the same with the cup after supper, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Receive from him. Let's pray. Father, you know that we have many needs. We have questions, we have fears, we long to be known by others, seen and valued. We want freedom from oppression. We want peace from suffering in our world and peace from our own individual suffering today. Would you give us open hearts and minds softened by your Holy Spirit to receive peace today in whatever way you would give it. By your Spirit, help us to walk in the path of Jesus, glorifying you. We ask this in the name of your Son. Amen. Will you stand for the benediction? And just a reminder, you don't have to run out of here right away. You can swing by the bake sale table. There should be about 100% more baking on the table than when you came in. And you can help support our team that's headed to Costa Rica in the new year. And you can grab some baking, maybe find somebody you've never met before and become best friends tonight. So tonight, uh, today, today's benediction is a reminder from earlier. I wanted to reread again this line from Henry Nowen. And so hear these words. The master is coming, not tomorrow, but today. Not next year, but this year. Not after all our misery is past, but in the middle of it. Not in another place, but right here where we are standing. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, go in peace.